For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. A 57-year-old Wisconsin barge pilot caught a 57-inch muskie. For those of you not in the know, a muskellunge or muskie is a big, mean, toothy freshwater predator fish, the largest in the pike family. They do on occasion grow beyond the 57-inch mark. The all-time tackle record is a 60 and one-quarter inch fish. Uh, That one was recorded all the way back in 1949. That muskie reportedly weighed 67 pounds and was 34 inches around. That's a big fish. Now, I know what you're thinking. Must have been one hell of an angler to hold a record for more than 70 years. If you were to look that angler up, you'd find his name is Cal, by the way. Just making sure you have all the facts is all. Outside of that smart, cagey, and probably good-looking old angler, the state of Wisconsin accidentally shocked a larger fish at 61 and one and a half inches in 2019. That was an electric bycatch, not a rod and reel record, to be clear. And just so you know, that 61 and a half incher is still swimming around. So if that doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will. Muskies have rows of razor-sharp teeth akin to concertina wire, but they don't chew or tear through their prey. They use them to seize quarry before swallowing it whole head first. You'd be tempted to think that muskies, given their size and gnarly teeth, would feed constantly, but they actually have relatively slow metabolisms, especially in cold water, which is partly why they're so hard to catch. They're called the fish of 10,000 casts. A big, full-grown adult muskie may need to eat only a few times per week, 
or as common angler wisdom holds, about once every three days. They do a lot of sitting, waiting, and watching for prey. All this to say, yes, the muskie is cool, it's hard to catch, and yes, it can get bigger than 57 inches, which makes them special. But your general muskie may not be as special as this 57-incher caught by Lee Franzen. Lee is a die-hard angler who spends a crazy amount of time on Lake Michigan's Green Bay. According to Lee, it's both his office and his playground. Green Bay is, of course, the namesake of the football team, the Green Bay Packers, but that's not all. It's one of the largest bays in the country, at about 120 miles long, goes between 10 and 20 miles wide. The Indian tribes native to the area, including the Winnebago and the Menominee, The tribes then called it the Bay of Stinking Waters, which 17th century French settlers would translate to La Baie des Pointes. I am Pepe Le Pew. The serious stank owed to a few different factors, overabundance of algae, stagnant water, and a lot of marshes, and marshes are decomposing stuff all the time, that nice-smelling, really rich black muck. Anyway, unfortunately, and not coincidentally, the bay got even stinkier as more Europeans filled in the country. Stinky Europeans is just too easy of a joke, so we'll we'll skip past that. Comment allez-vous this fine morning? In 1987, the EPA identified Lower Green Bay as an area of concern because of the contaminated sediment and the overall poor water quality from agricultural runoff and industry pollution. Fish-killing dead zones now form in the bay, One of the largest in 2012 covered 40 square miles. That's roughly a third of the entire bay. I'm bringing this up to give you even more context as to how special this muskie is, so stick with me. Because of all the pollution and because of habitat loss and commercial fishing, the bay's legendary muskie population became all but extinct by the late 1980s. In 1989, the state began stocking spotted muskies back into Green Bay to reestablish a self-sustaining population. It is this population that Lee's giant muskie came from. That's called conservation success after conservation failure, which unfortunately is a uh, well-established pattern. Now to jump back a bit to the subject of, I guess not necessarily failure, but certainly rotten luck, Lee, our angler, has had a terrible run of luck recently. In January of 19, he was diagnosed with throat cancer. Following the diagnosis, he had to step away from his job and undergo radiation and chemo treatments, which, I don't know if you've ever had a loved one go through that, but chemo, you know, I guess if it was fun, everyone would do it. If that weren't terrible enough, doctors had to remove Franzen's teeth. Then, the day after Franzen had all of his teeth yanked, his mother suffered a stroke that nearly killed her. And we're not done yet. After treatment, Franzen suffered major withdrawals from the morphine and fentanyl that he was prescribed while undergoing treatment. He's toothless and in constant pain. He's weak. His weight dropped from 190 to 125 pounds. Plus, as he told the Green Bay Press Gazette, the anxiety and panic attacks were unbearable. I ended up spending a week in the psychiatric ward at Bellin Hospital. I mean, uh, Lee Franzen, I chuckle not because it's funny, but because I have to. And because, you know, if you fancy yourself an angler, everyone, Lee gets the last laugh as his luck starts to turn around. 
He's now cancer-free. He recently returned to work. He's got a full brand new set of dentures. And most importantly, he's able to fish again. Franzen, in true upper Midwest fashion, is, you know, your standard big walleye and perch angler. But this past Memorial Day, he decided to try his luck at muskies. Again, the fish of 10,000 casts. He got a bright and early start, heading out at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He cast about 15 times, which again is basically nothing if you're talking musky. And he got a huge hit in short order. Franzen reeled in the 45-pound, 57-inch musky of his dreams, his personal best. <laughs> got one more quick aside, if you'll allow me. All of this stuff is fact. But I'll slide in uh, one thing here that, that I think was implied, so take it with a grain of salt. The Press Gazette article about the catch suggests that Franzen caught the fish and reeled it in with the same fishing rod that he was sleeping with while he was sick. I'm not kidding. He slept with his favorite musky rod during his cancer battle, which kind of makes sense. It's pert near metaphorical if you think about it. The rod is uh, tough enough to beat a musky or a bunch of muskies, so it's tough enough to beat cancer. Got to hold on to that rod as a big, strong fish can make a run and it might slip through your hands, just like you got to hold on to your health. Again, I'm not sure if this is 100% true, but it makes for a better story, so we're going to stick with it. To get back to the fish, as it happens occasionally with some of these big predator fish or any fish we try to catch and release, this case, the fish didn't read the playbook and something went wrong and the line got caught through its gills or just played too hard and uh, the fish was bleeding pretty bad. So he didn't release it. Instead, he ran it over to his buddy's taxidermy shop. There's probably a metaphor in that somewhere too. Franzen told the paper, I now hold his shop record for the biggest brought in, which for me is quite an honor. Welcome back to the top, Mr. Franzen. This week, We've got more fish, migratory birds, troubled waters, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. As you know, my week in this podcast is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment, the world's foremost purveyor of chainsaws. Not only do they make chainsaws, but they make all sorts of handy things that I don't use for their intended purposes. Power sprayers intended for peeling paint off of houses or grease off of heavy equipment and mud off 18-wheelers are great for cleaning up your European mounts. Their hand shears are great for breaking down upland game birds, as well as ducks and geese. Their pruning shears or loppers can snip through turkey legs or elk ribs or your smaller deer bones when making stock, and I've even used their quiet, smooth, non-stinking electric chainsaws to make difficult cuts in the wood shop at night when everybody's asleep, or even take apart a mule deer when the time and the weather made a quick job necessary. All of this stuff works even better out on the woodlot, farm, or garden. That's called versatility, folks. Wow! Anyway, just back from a short vacation to Florida's forgotten coast, got to focus on my tarpon fishing. Tarpon, as I have and will continue to cover, are an incredibly cool fish that has been around a very long time. Long before people were into taking pictures of them with a fishing rod in hand, their image was preserved in the fossil record. That'd be like 65 million year old snapshot. On top of that, they are what is known as an obligate air breather, meaning they are obliged or obligated to breathe air. 
And what's more, we caught them in nets, dynamited, and collected them and ran them through grinders by the ton for the noble purpose of fertilizer until there were almost none of them left in Florida or the Gulf, all because people didn't find them easy enough to eat and found them too much of a pain in the butt when they'd come up and steal your bait. On top of all this, they don't even live in Montana, so you have to travel to find them, which is getting easier and easier every year at this point due to the fact that the sport fishing value of the tarpon has been very influential in bringing them back from the brink. Tarpon are an industry. Whole restaurants, bars, hotels, bars, guides, bars, fly shops, tackle shops, bait shops, bars, marinas, and bars exist in large part due to the folks who pursue a fish. A fish that people think are too much work to eat. Obviously, industry, jobs, money, attention is a uh, double-edged sword. We certainly cover that enough on the Week in Review. And this fishery industry still involves a lot of fishermen, and fishermen, or fisher peoples, like to keep uh, things secret. It makes it a very interesting scene down in Apalachicola. Everyone knows you're in town to fish, because that's what they are in town to do as well. But there are still like the typical fishing things, like not wanting people to know how you did or where exactly you launched the boat or ended up with that boat and all that stuff. You could be having the exact conversation on the Missouri River or the Beaverhead River or wherever. It's just funny to me that the place, tactics, and species can change, but at the end of the day, it's all still fishing and people who try to catch fish. Anyway, the fun stuff. We caught a few tarpon jumped a few tarpon, which is to say that we had them on the line long enough to either pop the fish off the hook on a jump. You know, their tendency is to go into a series of jumps once hooked. It's one of the things that makes them so popular to go after. Anyway, we lost a few on the jump. We snapped a few off. We landed a few. We got a bunch of tarpon to eat. And then we cast like crap and missed a bunch more. The most valuable thing on this trip is, again, Tarpon don't live in Montana, so going someplace and finally getting the right conditions and an abundance of fish to be at the same spot at the same time you're there allows people like me to knock the rust off and actually try to replicate good behavior. For me, it is even hard to say that I, as in myself, caught fish because of the education I got from my friend Brian Broderick, who uh, is the dude who happens to own Day 6 Arrows and Broadheads. So, you know, if you're in the market, check them out and our guide, Jero Brewer. Jero is a fishy, fishy dude, and uh, between those two, the tarpon catching experience is absolutely invaluable to someone like myself. For instance, the first fish I caught, it took 30 minutes to land, and I was working my butt off. I had a 12-weight rod that you could almost touch the handle to the tip on. It was doubled over so hard. Felt like my arm was going to seize and all the water was going to leave my body. I was sweating so hard. After we released that fish, Jero and Brian took the time to say, Okay, that was neat. Congrats on your first real fish. But here are all the things that you did wrong and why that is wrong. And here is how to do it better next time. And there was a next time and a time after that. So you got to actually put that stuff into practice and try to cement that in memory. Every fish after that first one, we got to the boat between 9 and 14 minutes with way less effort. If you ever find yourself hankering to check this game out, 
look up uh, Jerome Brewer and Doug Henderson. Darn good, knowledgeable, patient tarpon guides. You can get to them through gbflyfishing.com. That's Jerome Brewer, flyfishing.com, gbflyfishing.com, and saltedflatsflyfishing.com. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. All right, moving on to the bird desk. As in, this next one is for the birds. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Agency recently released a draft environmental impact statement for a Trump administration plan to limit migratory bird protections. And this is not just another boring bureaucratic report, I promise. In short, the Trump administration wants to change the Migratory Bird Treaty Act so that oil, gas, and electric companies are no longer fined for incidentally killing birds. Right now, companies are criminally liable if they kill migratory birds by, you know, say, cutting down trees or spraying pesticides where they shouldn't be. For instance, because of the Migratory Bird Act, BP Oil paid $100 million after the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill killed 100,000 birds. 
the Trump administration's plan would do away with such penalties, scrapping regulations that have been in effect for a century. Industry would then have nearly free reign to do as it pleases. This new Fish and Wildlife report states that vulnerable species could decline to the point of being endangered, which I think everyone should find troubling. As even if you don't care so much about the species, you know, if you're one of those people, you should care about the fact that a species, once endangered, can be a real pain in the butt to deal with. As in the convenience factor, when playing or, uh, you know, building something or doing your work that every human really values and enjoys gets, you know, way, way, way less convenient when endangered species habitat is where you want to play, build, or work. Let's stop and uh, take a step back for a moment. We know all of these species we're talking about have value, often not represented by the fines that are associated with them. So, as I see it, the question with this plan becomes, is it right to have zero value, a value of quantity zero, attached to wildlife, only for those involved with the development of energy production or mineral extraction? Say a uh, company kills a million migratory birds in the name of energy. What kind of message does that send about the value of wildlife? And if we say that that's okay, to have a value of zero on our wildlife just for certain players, what does that say about us? This is, you know, unfortunately not a hypothetical question. Over the past two months in Colorado, a coal mining company has bulldozed a road straight into the Gunnison National Forest Sunset Roadless Area. Did you get that, a road in a roadless area? Where it wants to use 1,700 acres to dig up coal. The company did this in defiance of a recent federal court ruling that, you know, told them no. On June 12th, Sonny Perdue, the Secretary of Agriculture, released a memorandum directing the Forest Service to focus its priorities on increasing energy, timber, mining, and grazing on the 193 million acres of public lands that it manages. Forest Service land has always been managed for both recreation and for development. And, you know, development includes grazing, timber extraction, uh, mineral extraction. That dual function, right, this land of many uses that we always talk about, has always been important. But this directive, as we've talked about before, seems to greenlight industry, give them the go-ahead, while it diminishes and devalues the recreational value of what the recreational part of this land of many uses is going after. Now we're going to jump back here to our birds. According to the Associated Press, as many as a billion birds a year are killed as a result of current industry practices. That's a billion of North America's 7 billion bird total. You call that a seventh. I'm sure many of you are aware of the passenger pigeon, right? We've talked about those birds before. The last one of the species died in the Cincinnati Zoo in 1914. Just 75 years earlier, the passenger pigeon was, in all likelihood, the most abundant bird in the world. Their flocks would be so big that from a distance, when they flew, people would mistake them for thunder or herds of galloping horses or buffalo. Widespread deforestation, along with aggressive market hunting, played a huge part in the species' demise, but I'm sure back in 1850, or thereabouts, people would have never, ever, ever thought that the passenger pigeon would ever go extinct. It wouldn't have seemed possible. I think about that a lot. 
which species do we take for granted, assuming that they'll always be around, even, you know, if nobody steps up to protect them? As of now, seven states and a bunch of conservation groups are challenging the plan in U.S. District Court. For you folks at home, call up your local representatives if this sort of thing matters to you, as I suspect it does. You can find Sunny Purdue's order at USDA.gov, by the way. Read it for yourself. I encourage you to do so. If this stuff does not matter to you, in fact, if this seems like alarmist propaganda to you, or even, dare I say, anti-Trumpist, I want you to keep these last couple of points in mind. One, the Great American Outdoors Act, as I have said many, many times, is great And that will not go into effect until President Trump signs the dotted line. If and when he does do that, I will be thanking him and singing his praises then. The Trump administration is getting actual funding behind migration corridors. I will sing that man's praises for that. That does not mean that we are then obligated to give the president or any one of our elected officials a free pass on detoothing the EPA or the Clean Water Act or anything else that you don't like. That is our job as voting citizens. It is not to sit back and say, well, I, you know, I do vote every four years. As for this migratory bird situation, I really want to ask you this. In your own backyard, your kid has a Red Rider BB gun, just like he or she should. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. And unsupervised, they're back there trying it out and probably killing every bird that lands at the feeder. Is it right that that little backyard assassin of yours could be punished and held accountable for the death of a single migratory bird when one energy-related industrial operation with a far greater impact, a potentially population-level impact, is not held accountable? Moving on to the invasive species desk. Utah Department of Natural Resources is officially telling folks to get out and get after the bullfrogs. Bullfrogs started staking their claims in still water bodies along the Wasatch Front sometime in the 1970s. Now they are prolific, large, in charge, and tasty. As we've talked about, bullfrogs only limit what they will eat by what they can stuff in their mouths. Snakes, mice, birds, frogs, toads, invertebrates, fish, you name it. Whatever concoction they inhale makes them very tasty. Frogs' legs are delicious and easy to prepare. Common ways of harvesting bullfrogs include, but are not limited to, hand grabbing. Uh, No need to explain that one. Gigging, a pole with a fork or a hook on it, is used to impale or, you know, hook your catch. And the use of fishing gear to cast and snag frogs is a common one also. We uh, used to use a combination BB gun to the frog and then use a fishing pole rigged up with a little spinner with a large treble hook to retrieve them. A spinner seems to fly better than just a bare treble hook is the reasoning there. You're a little more accurate. Here's a note for potential frog hunters in the state of Utah. The use of fishing gear necessitates a fishing license. If you, for whatever reason that I do not understand, don't want to get a fishing license, don't utilize fishing gear in Utah, okay? Other than that, no license necessary for uh, bullfrogs. So, you know, get hopping. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you all so much for listening to Cal's Week in Review. If you are loving what you're hearing, tell a friend or two. If you don't want to tell anyone, but want to look like you know a little bit about a lot of stuff, 
go to TheMeatEater.com and pick yourself up a snappy-looking pocket tee, reusable shopping bag, or a hat that says Cal's Week in Review. Most importantly, and as per usual, please keep setting me straight. Let me know what I'm missing and what's happening in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's AskCal at TheMeatEater.com. Thanks a bunch. I'll talk to you next week. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more.